Hi, I'm Jerry Burtz, and you're listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. When I graduated, like the speech that was given by President of Smith College said, here we were such wonderful, educated young women. We would make fine mothers be able to teach our children well. No thought that, that we might have careers of our own uh, unless we poor dears couldn't find a husband. <laughs> then my class on, the glass ceilings just started cracking before we walked in the room. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. <laughs> this is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at the GBB Podcast, as well as GBB Podcast, or sorry, thegbbpodcast.com. If you go to gbbpodcast.com, you'll get another one that's not us. Yeah, what is that <laughs> other one? It's like some, it's... Good, bad, something. I don't know. I don't even know if they do it anymore. I'm just sitting waiting for them to cancel their domain. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, it's good, bad, or bull beep. There you go. Because we we've never had guests that have said no. I just know. you know we're not with Jane Yolen. I don't want to give her an explicit tag for saying That's true. You know, good, That's bad, true. and bull beep. <laughs> so once, yes, we don't want this to be explicit. No, no, <laughs> that would be unfortunate. No. So once again, we are joined by guest host Sherry. We were My talking mom is about... super excited about this one. Oh, good. <laughs> and that, you know what, Justin and I wake up every every morning and we say, <laughs> how could we make Shiri's mom happy yeah. and excited this right? week? Well, that's why Jamie booked booked it to begin I with. Did. You know, I, I knew Shiri's mom was a fan and I was like, we got to do this for her. Yep. Not even a question. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about your interview. How did it go? What did you talk about? Set up our guest for us. What did we talk about? We talked about the obscene number of books that she's written. I know we talked about that. <laughs> so Jane Yolen, um, if you know of her, if you're like, man, that 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 name sounds kind of familiar. How do I how do I know who that is? If you have any of those big books, like How Do Dinosaurs Say Goodnight? How Do Dinosaurs Count to Ten? How Do Dinosaurs Say You Know Happy Birthday? Uh, that's her. She wrote those books, but that's like. Like the proverbial needle in the haystack. That's a terrible metaphor because that's not even what it means. It's like that's like the tip of the iceberg. There you go. And it's like <laughs> so. What we she this this month her three hundred and sixty sixth book has was published. Uh, so she's actually doing this thing where like uh, read a book a day. So it's like Yolen three sixty five, and it's like you could read a different Jane Yolen book every day for a year and not double up, which is like mind-blowing right it is yeah. even though she's been writing what she else she was published she was 20 21 the first 20, time she got published yeah, yeah. Blah, 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 published yes <laughs> see i mean we can't even say the word and she's like got, yeah. she, like by the time we get the word out she's published three more books 
<laughs> and her we talked to her a little bit about her her authorial origin story which i think a lot of writers would actually literally murder people for yeah it was like not even fair like like you hear, you hear all these like stories about people would be like i suffered for years and i could i could i could wallpaper my house with the rejection letters that i've gotten and she was like 18 years old and a publisher came to her and was like hey want to write a book (laughs) that's basically how it went she was like um okay (laughs) sure why not i guess i'll try (laughs) so yeah she's kind of been um She's got the touch. She's been blessed with with uh, the luck of, of an early success. Um, but it wasn't a fluke. She clearly, 366 books later, she um, she knows what she's doing. And she's written everything. Um, yeah. you know, she's written the dinosaur books, which are for little kids. She's written middle grade. She's a lot of, um, she's a lot of kids' first introduction to historical fiction about the Holocaust. Um, she's written adult books. She's written a couple of musicals. Yeah, it's crazy. She was a journalist. Um, <laughs> she can kind of do all the writing things. Oh, she write. Which, she she does words good. She, yeah, she does words good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people sort of excel at one form over another, but she's just good at everything. Yeah the um, the only other person that comes to mind that we've had on this show that is sort of in the same um, league is Kate DiCamillo uh, because Kate DiCamillo is it like covers the, the genres also like she she's written picture books she's written um, chapter books she's written young adult she's written novels so she also can sort of jump around from format and, and structure you know to for whatever story pops into her mind, it doesn't have to be just like whatever the last thing that she wrote was. Um, she's not as prolific as Jane Yolen. Just Jane Yolen like has just a lot more books to her to her career, but she's been writing a lot longer too. Mm-hmm. Annalie Newitz could can also do that. She was one of the uh, founding editors of IO9, mm-hmm. and I just read her book on evolutionary biology, and then I read her. Her, um, it's not really cyberpunk, but it's, it's, I, I, and then I just read her science fiction book and she's done some other stuff in between. So, yeah. You know, another author who has really branched oh, out, boy. John Grisham. <laughs> <laughs> Justin. I can't help it. I have to. I'm sorry. I have to. I'm sorry. <laughs> At least you didn't go Dan Brown. Yeah. Hey, he's uh, done different all the th- law settings there could be. I'm sure he's done it. Yeah. What was it Dan Brown just did? The Da Vinci Code, the young adult version? Remember oh, that? Come that on. Was, no, he did. There was a young adult version of the Da Vinci Code and like the the joke was like how is it any different from the from the one that you already wrote? Um but anyway, we're we're doing a disservice to Jane Yolen. Watch your tongue, <laughs> yeah. sir. I'm sorry. I sorry Jane. I if you're listening to this or your people are listening to this, like I can't help it. I have to throw the joke in when I have to take it. <laughs> oh, you can laugh at John She's done graphic novels too. She has, yes. Wow. She can do it all. She can she's do it all. an ad copy on Madison Avenue. Yeah. You know, she's done so, it. Yolen three sixty five, man. Just it's <laughs> not too late to start. It might be March 
Um, but uh, you can uh, you can never you, it's never a bad time to just start reading 366 books by January. All right, guys. So we're gonna go play that interview for you right now. Hope you enjoy. Jane, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. It is just a pleasure to have you here. I'm delighted to be here. Um, I wanted to go back. Uh, we, we like to talk to people, not necessarily about how they got their start, but a little bit earlier in their career. And I know that you were first published when you were in your early 20s. And I saw some mixed um, reports, whether it was 21 or 22. I saw both. So, But that seems like a dream to so many struggling writers. Well, the thing is that I come from a family of writers. Yeah. So the assumption was that no matter what else I did to make a living, I was going to to write. And, of course, I love to write, so that was never a problem. The problem with writers it, it is not the writing, it's finding a publisher. Yeah. And um, I was lucky in that um, I worked at one point for... This Week magazine and Newsweek magazine and Saturday Review editorially. Um, so I already knew some places, you know, and some people. But I wasn't, um, I, was, I was publishing uh, some articles. I was publishing some um, poetry uh, in magazines. But I, I hadn't yet formed a book in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I got a letter from an an editor who had gone and done some college traveling and spoke to people in the know in various colleges. Mostly, I think it was the Seven Sisters and the and, and the Ivy League schools. Mm-hmm. Do you have any any recent graduates who might you know have a book in them, kind of thing? Wow. And when they got to Smith College, which was my college, um, the she didn't go to the English department where she would have probably gotten a very different reception um she went and spoke to the woman who was head of um the press press it was called a press board mm-hmm. um you know sending out um uh, students who wrote wrote newspaper articles to send out about smith and about smith graduates and right. that sort of thing um and she said only one name and it was mine wow because i had been president of the press board and we were very close um she she admired the fact that I was I had the you know the old newspaper um, person's um, uh, ability to sit down and just bat something out and and so I get this letter from a woman named Judith Jones at Knopf uh, we were saying I was just at Smith College and they said that you might be working on a book we'd love to talk to you and I wrote back and I uh, could you come in on X X Y or Z time I said. Um, absolutely. It was a lie because <laughs> I wasn't working on a book. <laughs> but but uh, I went in to talk to her, and I had it was two weeks from then. So I sat down and I thought, what can I write in two weeks? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I can write a children's book. Of course, I had not a clue to write a children's book, and that's not how you write anything. Yeah. You know, in two <laughs> weeks. Right? But I went in with three what I thought were picture books, which really weren't, um, and um, two ideas, proposals for um, full books. One was a proposal about my father, who was international kite-flying champion, mm-hmm. and the other, I mean, that was his joy. Mm-hmm. He was actually a, 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 a publicity and promotions person. But, and, and then 
then the other one was about a book about women pirates. Uh, and she looked at them. We sat and we talked. She was very nice, and she said, I don't myself edit children's books, but I'll take you down and let you talk to the children's book editor. So she took me down to talk to the children's book editor, and the children's book editor is a wonderful woman named uh, Ginny Fowler. Um, and Ginny looked at my stuff, and she said, these really aren't, you know, <laughs> ready for prime time. <laughs> In the nicest possible way. Um, and so I went, I went back feeling semi, semi-virtuous and yeah. semi-violated. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I mean, I had by that time gotten a lot of, um, rejections on poetry and on, you know, essays and that sort of thing. But suddenly I was invited yeah. to pitch and I missed by a mile. Yeah. And I realized I had. So I decided that I I really ought to learn something about children's books if I think that's where I that's where I'm headed. Um and and I took a course at the new school in it and I took um um I, I, I was part of a, a writing group, um, and eventually, I sold two books. One on my birthday, and I sold it on my twenty-first birthday, and it came out on my twenty-third. Mm. That's crazy. And what I sold was <laughs> the women pirate book. Yeah. I mean, were you aware, though, I mean, becoming from, you know, an artistic family, your parents were both writers, and you had written your whole life, you had written in college, were you aware of the opportunity that had basically just landed in your lap at such a young age? I feel like a lot of writers would murder people for, like, literally murder people for that backstory. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it was even worse than that. Even worse than that. I tried for about a year after that, a year and a half to sell, you know, worked on new stuff and sell it, and no one was interested. And and um, my father kept saying, I can introduce you to people. I can introduce you to people. Mm-hmm. He was head at that point of the um, um, the um, foreign, uh, what was, not the foreign correspondence, but it's um, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, the Overseas Press Club. Um, he knew a lot of people in the business, and his job at that point was with a top... Um, uh, publicity and promotion company to get them to their clients to get uh, write have books written about them. So, for example, if it was the cigarette manufacturer of America or the or the um, the Sultan of Brunei or whatever, who might be a client of theirs, yeah. um, for um, they would say, if you will pay X, Y, or Z, we will get. A, a best-selling author to write a book about you, all right? Yeah. Um, so he, he, he was in touch with a lot of, of book people. None of it was the kind of books I was writing. But he said, I can get... And I said, no, 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 I'm not, inter- I'm not interested. I'm doing it on my own. Um, and then after a year and a half, I said, so introduce me. <laughs> and he took me to meet the vice president of David McKay and Company, who shook her head because she had... They had a children's book department, so she walked me down there and then dropped me, you yeah. know. And then the children's book editor was absolutely uninterested because this young woman, I always looked about 10 years younger than I was. I was 
you know, I looked like I was 12. Um, <laughs> I had a, a long braid uh, down the back, my back. Yeah, yeah. You know, I could have, I could have been, I could have been in junior high school, right? Um, and um, I, I was an annoyance to her day, and she looked at it, and she looked at all the picture books. She said, no, 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 no. And she came to the upgraded proposal on pirates and petticoats, and she said, this interests me. Hmm. Tell me more. Are, and I had only talked about two pirates and Bonnie and Mary Reed. I said, but there were many more. She said, are there many more? <laughs> and I said, lots. <laughs> and I, once again... With lying. Exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually know. But, you know, an educated guess, right? Sure. There's not going to be just two in the world, right? Right. It was when a safe When there were bet. Lots, lots of pirates? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It turned out I was right, actually. Yeah. There were lots. Do you think that, you know, gender politics in publishing and writing being what they were, being what they still are, do you think going to an all-women's school is is part of what gave you the confidence for the big swings, even if the first couple missed? I I think that I've always been a very eye-on-the-prize kind of person. I love to write. I love to be alone with my thoughts. I love to create. Um, and I think that came out of, of um, having gone to a lot of really good schools. I mean, I went to um, um, a public school for an elementary school, but it was in a in a in a lovely part of New York City. Um, and we had this was during the right after the war years. By that I mean <laughs> World War II. Um, so there were lots and lots and lots of um, emigres who had been professors in the old countries. Um, that had been run over by the Nazis, and there they were teaching school children. Um, and so we got the best of the best um, as far as knowledge and as far as what they expected of us. They had that very European education. Uh, you know, we're not coddling you. This is what you have to do. Um, and then I went to um, um, Hunter Junior High School, which was you had to test to get into, and then I w had gotten into music and art, for high school, and my, our parents had suddenly moved us to Connecticut. Mm. Um, and I went to one of the top public high schools in America there at the time. So there was always this, I was always in with a bunch of really smart kids. And we all pushed, pushed each other. Um, there, was, there was no thought from my parents that my brother and I were not going to go to college. We were going to go to college. Yeah. There was, there was no. Uh, we didn't, we didn't have any wiggle room on that. Yeah, did they have? So, I mean, it, you said they, you know, you were going to go to college. That was their expectation. But did they have mm -hmm. sort of expectations for what path they wanted you to follow? You know, I mean, they were both artistic, so they were probably a little bit more open-minded about you also pursuing an artistic path. I think that in those days, they probably expected that I would do somewhat what my mother did. She, um, uh, she was a writer, but not, not a successful one. Mm -hmm. But she had um, a master's degree in psychiatric social work, as did her three sisters. Um, and she worked um, as a social worker until I was born. 
And then after I was born and my brother was born, she never went back to work again, and that's when she started writing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, m- my father was the breadwinner, and that's how they probably saw what I would do. Yeah. Um, and in fact, when I graduated, my gra- the speech that was given by, by the um, president of Smith College when I graduated said, here we were such wonderful, educated young women. We would make fine mothers be able to teach our children well mm. you know That's, no thought yeah. no thought that that we might have careers of our own uh, unless we poor dears couldn't find a husband <laughs> that was that was sort of the that was the sort of the thought there behind it um, and it turned out we were four years behind Gloria Steinem yeah she went to Smith four years earlier um, four years we were four years after Gloria Steinem, we were four years after, um, we were one year after the graduation of um, Sylvia Plath. There were small glass ceilings being broken yeah. ahead of us, and then my class on, the glass ceilings just started cracking before we walked in the room. Right. Um, so, so the thought of becoming successful at something along with being a mother uh, was always in, in in part of part of the plan. Yeah. Um, I wanted to shift to the the writing that you do and the the process that you go through. What fascinated me as I was reading up about you and what you go through it, to bring a book to life is that you don't outline stories. You don't really think out plots and characters ahead of time. That's what you've said. Is that? And I think you said you want your own writing to surprise you, like as if you were reading somebody else's book. Um, how often, though, has that led you to a dead end, like creatively? Like, you know, the, the characters take you one place, and then you realize after however many pages, however many words, that, like, oh, this really isn't doing the story the, a, a very good service. Surprisingly few times. Yeah. Um, I have three, this last, last week, my 365th and 366th books came out on the same day. That's amazing. Um, and I would say maybe I have given up on, and by given up on, I mean totally given up on, um, maybe 10 projects and all. Hmm. Others, I, I go back and I haul them out and I go, wait, wait, I'm interested in this. Or some of them I put away because I say, you know what, I think really so-and-so should write this book, not me. It's more their kind of book. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. uh, there's one book I've always wanted to write, a novel, an adult novel about um, the Pre-Raphaelites. Hmm. But it really seemed like someone who was an English writer should do that. Uh, because the amount of... Uh, that's not my normal period to write about. Right. And the amount of, of um, especially now, when I'm 79, the amount of research to be done to birth that particular novel. And I, I actually have a first chapter and a whole lot of it in my head. Um, honestly, I don't think I have the energy for it. Yeah, it's daunting, right? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a huge daunting thing. And I've just finished a major novel um, that, that came out, was one of was a one of the two that came out March 6th, 
um, that took me four and a half years to write. Wow. And so I mean, it's a huge uh, Holocaust novel. And, you know, I'm, I'm ready to write something smaller, <laughs> something that I can, I can hold in my hand and make it shiny and perfect, <laughs> faceted, and, and, and not have to uh, wander around parts of Poland uh, my, in my mind uh, looking out for Nazis over my shoulder. I could do that right here in America right now. Exactly. Um, so the 365 and 366 books, first of all, that's just remarkable. It's unbelievable. Um, but I saw on your we- website that you were doing the Yolen 365 hashtag where you could read a different book every day of the year. Um, yep, yep. I, I think it's, that's, I love that idea. But after so many books, do you ever find yourself finishing a book and just thinking, like sitting back and saying, well, that's it. I got nothing more to say. You, I'd like to invite you to come and sit in my head someday. <laughs> Put your feet up. There are a lot of stories there. That's a, I mean, I'll bring you some tea. You're closing no. in on 400 stories, and you still like I, I, I've got 400 more in there. Like there's just I just got to pluck them out and put them down. He should know yeah. about her by now because he's on my. Oh my god, I had another idea. Yeah. Chat group. So. <laughs> yeah, I I so I tell my writing students all the time, don't ask me where I get my ideas from. Yeah. Why don't you have ideas all the time? They're littering the ground. You cannot walk in your house or outside or go on a vacation without 40 or 50 ideas shouting, look at me, look at me, look at me. Now, they're not all viable ideas. Some of them are um, uh, dead ends. Some mm-hmm. of them are shortcuts to something else. Some of them are dead on arrival. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't know until you start investigating whether these are ideas that maybe the best thing you've ever written well that's like murakami um he has like i think it's a card catalog and he just literally picks up random stuff that he finds and puts it in a drawer and has mm-hmm. ideas it pulls it out later and has ideas about it yeah, sounds yeah. kind of similar I, I pulled out um a couple of years ago i pulled out an idea that i had finished i thought and sent around and was rejected by about 20 places. And then the genre, the subgenre that it was in, had basically died. You know, mm-hmm. this happened in publishing. You know, yeah. Dystopia. It's, it's hard to sell a dystopian novel now. <laughs> oh, you but know, it's that, back that's now. That's <laughs> <sales. laughs> um, uh, Historical novels are tough unless it's, you know, a, a major war novel. Yeah. Um, but 10 years from now... When I will be <laughs> still, writing. Years. still writing, still writing, still writing. It might be it might be something that someone wants. So I plucked up this. It was a picture book. This picture book idea, and I went, oh, and I see why people turned it down. Mm. And I rewrote it. I sent it to a small publisher that I had been having some very beautiful books come out from. They did it. Now, when you work with a small publisher. You think you're lucky if you sell 5,000, 8,000 copies. Yeah. Scholastic, Random House won't touch that. They want 150,000 sure. to 300,000, you know. It, otherwise, they're going to just put it out of print. So there I have this lovely book that comes out. 
And before I know it, they sold 17,000 copies. Wow. Mm. They weren't prepared for it. They were rushing around trying to get the reprints because that was not their normal. So, so sometimes you have to wait yeah. to find the right person, the right place, the right editor, the right... Um, it, it's, it's an interesting mosaic yeah. well, now, that, that one wanders. Now I'm curious, what book was it and what was the original pitch? Well, it was a little picture book called What to Do with a Box. Mm. And it didn't rhyme. And it was just very simple. You know, what or what can you do with a box? Take it and shake it and see. Um, and, but my, when I sent it around, my rhyming skills and my lyrical skills were not up to what they should have been. And they are now. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to do it, and they saw the possibility. They got a wonderful young illustrator um, called Chris Shaban, who was, you know, it was maybe his fourth or fifth book. Um, and he did an astonishing book. He painted it all on cardboard boxes and then yeah. took photographs. Um, and it's amazing. So you see a lot of the old. The, 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 the old box showing through, you know, where it says fragile, or where it says this side up yeah. shows through. And, um, and then they've just now turned it into a board book as well. You know, the board book that little children have. Sure, sure. And real stuff. And they've put it together in a way that you can either read it as a, as a book or turn it into a box. Mm, I love that. <laughs> So it's just really, it's clever, smart bookmaking is what it is. Yeah. But, you know, I, I can't see a Scholastic doing that. I can't see a Random House doing that. Um, it, it's, it's, too much, it's too much work for too little payback yeah. for them. But for this smaller house, Creative Editions, it was the perfect book. Do you so find... I, I write both. Yeah. Do you find, though, that when you sit down, like when you you know reach into your brain and you pluck out that new idea for the next book, do you find that it has to have something unique and special or inspiring about it? So, so you're not retreading the same ground that you've done before? Well, 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 well. That's an interesting question because, of course, I think all writers retread a lot of their ground. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, years ago... Um, an editor of mine uh, called me up and said, my little boy, Robbie, is three. He hates to go to bed at night. He loves dinosaurs. Can you do something for him? Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a little book called How Do Dinosaurs Say Goodnight? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and magic was, was born. It was a huge success. And magic <laughs> was born. In fact, a dynasty was born. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, there are about 25, 28 books in that series now. It's starting to wind down. Um, uh, including board books and pop uh, and um, um, scratch and sniff books and uh, mm-hmm. die cut books and and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's not stretching me in quite the same way as um, writing a, something completely new. Yeah. And also, it's not stretching a publisher. Every publisher has at least one or two or twenty dinosaur books on their various lists. Right. And everyone has a good night book 
on almost every list they bring out in every season. So it wasn't stretching anybody, but somehow the combination hit yeah. the zeitgeist at the right time. Yeah. And is your process different when you're writing one of the dinosaur books, say, versus one of your books that's one of Caldecott or a Nebula? Or my mom, who, by the way, is a teacher and totally fangirled when I said I when I told her I was talking to you today, um, <laughs> you know, reminded me of of your catalog of, of much more serious books, a lot of which are are the first introduction some kids get to the Holocaust. So is uh -huh. is your process your process must be different for writing those well, two think, kinds of I books. think the, I, I tell I tell my students this. There are three kinds of books that you write. One is a heart book. It's something that you stew in your heart and intestines, you know, and it comes out. And you have very little um, distance from it because you're so passionate about it. Then you have a head book. That's, um, you get an idea. It seems a viable idea. It seems a target idea. It's, you know, a dinosaurs go to sleep book idea. Um, and, and... It, it 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 may turn out well. It may not. It you know, and then you have um, someone handing you a check and saying, "I want you to write a book about X, Y, or Z." That's your checkbook, mm. right? You've got a head book, a heart book, and a checkbook. Right. And I think somewhere along the way, sometimes a head book or a checkbook turns into a heart book, and sometimes a heart book you just get heartbroken over because you can't do it. Yeah. It doesn't come out. As, as wonderful as it seemed when you were writing it. So I think that I never discount anything, um, not even after it's published, because sometimes I get letters from parents or teachers or kids who say, this book saved my life. This book helped my child. This book turned the family around. I mean, when I get letters like that, I don't care what my process was when I was writing it. It yeah. found the right reader, and it made a difference in a life. I'm never going to have my hands, you know, in somebody's guts, um, uh, cleaning them out after an accident or or, or a a, um, a major aorta, you know, the aorta mm -hmm. broke mm -hmm. or something like that. I'm not that kind of. I'm not that girl, right? But. But I, I have been able to, over the years, through my books, save lives, save, save hearts, save um, families. I mean, there's nothing to sneeze about no. about that. And, and I don't, didn't go into it for that. And if you had said to me, book, to save this child's life, I would go, <laughs> oh, oh, blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> But, but if you write, it becomes something amazing. Do do you that find you're not expecting? Do you find yourself thinking about that, like when you're writing and you are becoming heartbroken over that one book, or becoming frustrated because it's a checkbook you really don't want to write? Do you find yourself sitting there thinking, well, this eventually could find that one reader or that audience that it really helps, and that helps you then to push through and. and Find the right words. Oh, I wish I were that smart. <laughs> um, I just, I just write because I love to write. Yeah. And and I just, I just worked on a little little 
manuscript the other day for an illustrator I had just met um, because she had just done the other book of mine that was, was out on March 6th. And I hadn't known her work before. I hadn't known her before. She lives in Portland, Oregon, so I never met her before. But we just had a love fest. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I, I wrote this book for her, this little manuscript for her, and I sent it to her with no expectations. You know, just I just wanted you to have this. Mm-hmm. And she just wrote back this morning saying, this is the manuscript I've been waiting all my life for. Oh. Mm. You know, now... Does that mean it's going to sell? I haven't a clue. Right. Does that mean that by the time it comes out, uh, the words will have any recognition from the, you know, resemblance to the first book that I, the first time I wrote it? I have no idea. All that is not of interest right now. Mm-hmm. Was of interest is she loved the manuscript. She wants to, to work with me on it, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, that's but all that matters. But it was my little. My little um, thank you to her for doing such a wonderful job on the first book that we did together, and maybe this one will work that magic, too. Mm. I mean, after dozens of collaborations with different illustrators, though, I mean, you've worked with so many amazing artists. Is there anyone you still haven't worked with but really want to? Some of them are dead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Maurice Sedak and I talked for years about doing something oh, together. No. And, and and the Dillons and I talked about doing something together. Trina Schock-Hyman was a dear friend, and we talked about doing stuff together. And we're all, we were all busy people, and uh, honestly, it's, it's not... It's not the author and the illustrator who make those decisions. It's the decision that's made by the, the editor and the art director. Yeah. So if I say I really want so-and-so on this book, um, you know, the art director is just as likely to say, oh, I don't see it that way. Mm-hmm. And, and then they find somebody else. But when I wrote this book for, for Rilla, the illustrator, um, I meant it to be for her. And there's no way that I could take it somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that was your vision and you're not, I mean. That was mine. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the publishing industry as a whole though has changed so much during your career. I mean, most, most writers don't get, don't get the privilege and honor of having a career as long as yours. Um, But when I look around at the landscape today and, you know, writers uh, and artists both, they don't even necessarily need to rely on a traditional publisher to get their work or their words out there. You know, well, you just... know, I've, I've done two, two genres that have pretty much traditionally done their own books. Yeah. One of graphic novels or comic books, and the other is poetry. So the reason for that is there's so little money to be made yeah. with them. Um, so, so that doesn't surprise me. But... Here's the problem. A lot of people are going and doing their own stuff and bringing it out who have no knowledge of what what a a book looks like, Mm -hmm. who have no knowledge of how, um, of what good art or good good cover art should be, um, and have no backing in that they don't have, it's all on their shoulders. 
they have no one to send a hundred free copies out to yeah. uh, all the top people in the business or the or the people that are going to review the book. They don't have the um, ability to get on lists or or be or be up for awards. It's very very tough if you're on your own. I love the um, uh, the fact that with a traditional publisher, I write the book, and if they take it, they do all that stuff. Yeah, they get me. They get me interviews. You know, <laughs> they, <laughs> I, you don't have to I'm worry about all that. Books. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, I was going because that, that's what I wanted to ask. Though, is like because it's so easy, in quote unquote, to put you know you write a story and put it out there and, and self-publish or find an audience or or to make art and put it out there let's see people see it does that make you hopeful that more new voices will be found or to have a platform or are you worried that this flood of work from people who might not necessarily be ready to put it out there is going to drown out those voices i'm worried that we're lowering the bar mm. Mm. i think that the arts um, should be tough. It should be, you know, I, everybody can do art. Everybody can do writing. It just doesn't have to be read. It just doesn't have to be seen. Um, uh, I, I think that, that um, if you're going to do, and I've done some poetry where it's been a local press um, and I don't get any money until it actually start selling enough. I mean, I, I have a poetry book out now um, of political poems, and I actually got $400 <laughs> because it sold well enough. But you know why it sold well enough? I was out there reading it everywhere, carrying yeah. it to every every place that I was, was going and pushing it on people and warning them, wait, be careful, I lean left. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, if you want to spend your time... If you want to spend more time on trying to get your book around places than the actual writing it, you're in the wrong business. Yeah. You really need to put all your thought and your, and your whole heart, if you're a writer, into the writing and make it the best it can be. Get, hire someone to be your editor. Uh, hire someone to be the art director. Of course, then you're not going to make any money at all on the book. Most mm-hmm. probably, you're going to lose your shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there are a lot of people out there who are paying money to bad sources to print their books. I have a lovely young um, niece who who published her own uh, picture book um, and uh, with with a small fly by night company, which took all her money and mm. gave her a very bad product. Yeah. It's sad yeah it's so sad she's a teacher she does not have the wherewithal to to spend a lot of money on publishing her own book and it broke her heart yeah yeah it pushes i would imagine that 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 those experiences push a lot of people away from the pursuit yeah yeah and you know what i mean i think about people like um Winston Churchill, who was a Sunday painter. Mm-hmm. He loved to paint, but but it was the rest of it he didn't love to do. Yeah. I have it, one, of my, one of my uncles, one of my favorite uncles, um, was a wonderful clarinetist. He made his living 
as a lawyer and head of the Boston ACLU <laughs> because because he knew he would come to hate music if he had to try to make a living at it. It becomes a job. It becomes a job, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yep, yep. Are you a proponent of, of the right everyday theory then? I am a proponent of the, if you want me to not be cranky, let me write every day. <laughs> I, love, I love writing, and one of the reasons I, I'm so cranky with this, uh, with doing my taxes, which take me about four days to do it, is it's four days of total loss of writing. Yeah. I, I know you, you I, I think you might still do it. You did for a long time a poem a day. You had email subscribers. You sent them a poem every day. Um, I do. I have a thousand and fifteen subscribers right now. You still do it every day. Yep. Oh. Yep. So is well, that? Well, wait. That's a that's a bit of a cheat. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Some days I write four or five poems, <laughs> <laughs> and then I stockpile them because you know things happen, like taxes, yeah. that you have to work on. Exactly. Uh, and you and you don't want to just write tax poem after tax poem after tax poem. <laughs> Maybe one would be good. I don't know about a whole week's worth of tax poems, though. <laughs> uh, I know a lot of artists, um, when they sit down to, to write or paint or draw, they do a warm-up sketch. Is, is writing a poem like that for you? Is that how you stretch your creative muscles and get ready to write something longer? Or do you sit down specifically to write those poems? I'm writing those poems to write the poems because I know that I have people who are reading them voraciously every day. Yeah, But I consider them... First of all, finger exercise. I'm priming the pump yeah. for the day's writing. Some days, they're just little jingles. And other days, they're really almost good poems. <laughs> Every single one of them goes through four to ten to thirty revisions before I even send them out. And then, the ones that I send out to the subscribers, I very often cherry-pick to send to journals or magazines um, uh, or use in books. Uh, and those go through maybe 10 or 20 more revisions mm-hmm. after that. Uh, someone, um, the, the, the French poet Valry said um, uh, in French, so I can't do it in French, but uh. I can do it in English, um, that a poem is never finished, it's abandoned. Yeah. And I think possibly all writing is like that. At some point, you just have to, after days and weeks and months and maybe years of working on something, you have to just say, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> my editor usually, she's like, you're done now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had one of my poetry editors said to me, uh, as I kept on saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, I need to work this one over again and the, the deadline was looming, right? Um, he said, when are you going to be finished with these poems? I said, when you take them out of my <laughs> cold, bad <laughs> Um, we, we, We've mentioned in your parents they were writers and I think, I believe your son is a musician. So this is kind of a weird question. Well, I have three. I have three children. They're all children's book writers. They're all children's and, book writers. Okay. And the, and the musician's son also writes adult novels. Okay. So then this is perfect. So, is creativity or is artistic ability is it genetic or can it be learned? 
So if you were born to a to two tax attorneys, you know, would would you be able to become a successful novelist? I think that everybody can learn to paint or to write. Whether they can learn to paint or write what's inside, whether they can learn to do it up to a professional level is debatable. Mm -hmm. I think that some of us have an innate ability um, um, and a cultured developed uh, ability. doesn't make us better than anyone else. Sometimes someone comes out of the, you know, out of the woodpile firmly, uh, fully formed. Um, what I do know is that just like kids all do sports, mm-hmm. very few of them get to the professional level. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even the kids who go off to specialty camps or spend most of their year uh, in a in a Olympics training camp don't necessarily aren't necessarily the top winners. Yeah. The same thing with writing. The same thing with with any endeavor, any human endeavor. If you work hard at it, you will get better. When I one of the first rejection full rejection letters that I got on my poetry was from John Chardy. Um, who was a poetry editor at that point, not only a good poet himself, but poetry editor as a Saturday Review. Mm-hmm. I still have the letter, because he typed it out and signed it. It wasn't a, just a rejection letter. He said, your poems are good, but I would say of a pianist, not yet concert rank. Mm-hmm. And that made me work harder, sure. because I wanted to be concert rank. So why do you write? And if you weren't a writer, what would you be doing? Well, I always actually wanted to be a ballet dancer, but I'm five foot three and chubby <laughs> and have flat feet, so that didn't work out. There was a thing that I couldn't work through. There was a thing where I could dance. I was a good dancer. I loved to dance, um, but I simply did not have the ability, the physical ability. To, to become that. There are people who want to be writers. They work hard at being writers. They write okay stuff. Will it make them Ursula Le Guin? No. Uh, Ursula had something that, that very few people have, yeah. you know? Um, would would uh, someone uh, who is a writer be as good as Julius Lester or or Michael Swanwick, or, or um, you know, you name your favorite writers, Gregory Maguire. Uh, even I am not as good as they uh, are or were. Uh, um, but, but I get better, I hope, as I go along. I hope I'm still learning and growing. Um, and um, maybe I have written some really really wonderful, maybe even great books. Maybe not. (laughs) Interestingly, I had a bunch of, for the celebration of the 365, um, uh, we had a two-day celebration at the Carl Museum. Yeah. The Eric Carl Museum. Yeah. And one day was simply for teachers. And we had about 170, 
70 teachers there. Wow. And um, my daughter interviewed me, um, uh, uh, you know, for that. We were, uh, we were up on the stage. Yeah. And afterwards, I heard people saying, I never read any of her books before. I guess maybe I should. And I'm thinking, uh. you haven't been trying. <laughs> 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 but they're all around you. They're probably in your school library. You know? Probably. I think most definitely they are. <laughs> in my house, we would have been disowned for not reading your books. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but it's, it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. You, you, as a children's book writer, I'm in a little world of other children's book writers and right. illustrators. Right. Um, when I do graphic novels, it's an even smaller little world. Um, poetry, I mean, we all sit around and, 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 and tell war stories about places we <laughs> went to read and no one showed up. Um, uh, yeah, everybody has heard of Stephen King and everybody has heard of, oh, I don't know, Tom Clancy and everybody's yeah heard of of um maury sendak and eric carl eric has his own museum so does dr seuss yeah uh, um and the rest of us as far as being known is concerned are running behind doesn't mean we're worse writers doesn't mean we're better writers there's a hierarchy of sales there's a hierarchy of talent there's a hierarchy of good publicity um you know, there was a, a, a book that was published by someone uh, called Walter the Farting Dog. I, <laughs> I think I know that bestseller. book. We own that it book. Was a, yeah, it was a bestseller. And I cannot tell you about the many wonderful books that were published that same year. Yeah. <laughs> what are you reading right what now besides, reading? besides your, your 365? Um, I'm deep into a Michael Swanwick book, which I am just adoring. Um, I just finished um, reading, and that's a science fiction fantasy book. Um, I just finished reading um, uh, a book by Mira Bartok called The Wonderling, which is just a sort of a Dickensian romp with, a, with uh, animals. Um, by romp, I mean, you know, if it's Dickensian, it's... You're right. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, and um, um, I am always reading poetry. Uh, and, any, uh, any graphic novels or comics you're particularly enjoying right now? No, um, because I'm about to... But the, I have a problem. If I am working on something of the moment... Mm-hmm. I can't read something like it by okay. somebody else because I copy the style. Yeah. I imagine um, so it's probably um, easy to my, do. My, yeah, my son Adam and I are um, have just finished the third book of a graphic novel trilogy and, and we're about to, we were just sent um, the pictures, uh, the sketches for the, for the new book. And uh, so as soon as I get done with my taxes, <laughs> I... <laughs> We'll open that file and look at it, and and make any make any suggestions. I so. I wanted to just ask one last question, and then we'll let you get back to your taxes because I know those are important. Um. <laughs> Please keep talking. 
<laughs> I haven't done my taxes yet either, so I'm I'm right there with you. Um, I'm sure you know during your career you've you've been to plenty of um, readings and school visits and and classroom visits, and you've talked to teachers, but you've talked to a lot of young kids and young readers who are familiar with your books, and I'm sure many of them also want to be writers and just curious what advice you give to kids who say they want to be writers particularly young girls i say first of all don't let anyone tell you you can't do it just do it yeah um but learn what you need to learn uh, be a sponge read everything see what people what other people are writing um Take courses in school that are about that's about writing, but remember, a lot of the teachers are not writers, so a lot of what you need to hear is from other writers. Um, get a group of other people who are writing at your le- your grade level, and exchange manuscripts and and critique one another, because when you're critiquing someone else's stuff, you are realizing that you've made the same mistakes. When I when I became an editor, I realized three things. One, I realized I was a good writer. Because <laughs> what I was reading was not any good. But two, I also recognized how much of the mistakes they were making were my mistakes, so that I had to go back and fix. And three, I realized I wanted to be a writer more than I wanted to be an editor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think that kids get so bogged down, on, and I, I, one of the things I told the, told the teachers at this... Um, 365 thing um, was that they teach writing in schools as if one size fits all. Kids, today we're going to write a memoir. You're going to sit right in your seat <laughs> and in a 40 minute period you're going to write a memoir. Yeah. Writing is not like that. You know, unless you're on assignment, when you're writing for yourself, you're writing what you want to write. Um, I give an award out every year at the local elementary school for writing. And I, I read about 200 manuscripts um, from, from the kids, and I choose somewhere between 15 and 18 to give, to give a, a, um, an autograph book to, and then the top winner gets a $20 check, and then the next winner gets a $10 check. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I almost always choose some students who have not, not been doing well in school. I mean, I don't know them. I don't yeah. know their names. I, uh, I, but I choose them because what shines through in their manuscripts is their heart. Mm. Now, a lot of them just write what the teacher asks them to write. And I can tell that. And it's, you know, it's grammatically correct, and that's about all I can say for it. Mm-hmm. But the ones who have written something that they wanted to write that's what I'm looking for. So I told the teachers, don't expect everybody to outline. Yes, outlining works for some people. I'm not one of them. Um, so for me to sit down because a teacher tells me to outline is more frustrating than helpful. Um, some just fly off into the mist. Some kids only want to write sports stories. You're never going to make them into a poet because yeah. they don't want to be a poet. So we have to find new ways of getting kids crazy about writing. And um, 
I, I understand that grammar has to be taught. <laughs> I understand vocabulary words have to be taught. I understand spelling has to be taught. And you know what? I'm lousy at spelling. I have spell check. I love my spell check, except when it wants to make it into a different word. Right. Um, but but I said, I, I, I really wish people would sit down and rethink how they're teaching kids to write, because what we're doing is not opening the floodgates, we're damming them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jane, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. This has just been amazing. This is just, I, I wish we could keep you for another hour, but those taxes are waiting. <laughs> call me, call me in about half an hour. We can do this again. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Yeah, we could talk about Stan and Jan Berenstein. Shut up, man. The Berensteins. No, I know. I no, no hate on them. They I, I have, I have books. I have Berenstain Bears books that I have signed to me from them. Come on. When I was a little kid, they were doing a bookstore signing and my mom took me to see them. They, oh. Because the Berenstain Bears were my all-time favorite books as a kid. Yeah, me too. Speaking of stuff, so the last episode I did with you guys, we ended up in the nostalgia talk a little bit. And speaking of things that have not held up for me. <laughs> oh, boy. I have read some of the Berenstain Bears books to my kids. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what is this? I don't, I don't remember it being like so Jesusy. Yeah. <laughs> Not, oh, there's the, anything wrong with that. I, the later I think books were Jewish, are. weren't they? No. The, so no? the later books, um, after Stan died, um, oh, so Jan and her and their son Mike, um, Mike took over, and they did a lot of books. And yes, there's there's a whole um, subsection of Berenstain Bear Bears books that are religious books. Like it's not it's not even. I mean, it's overt. Like that's the whole point of those books is that they're very they're, they give a religious message. Um, Sold in the Christian bookstores. Yeah, but the like the original ones, like the classic titles, are are, are not that. But again, and I'm going to go back to my wife, who this was not part of. They were not part of her childhood. Um, she hates those books because <laughs> when when I read them to the kids or she's listening or she reads them, you know, like, let's say the book is like 30 pages, like the so what, whatever the story is, you know, it's like too much TV or too much junk food or, or bullies, you know, whatever the, the, the conceit of that book is, they spend 28 pages on the problem and then it's like, whoop, one page solution. You know, it's like, like they, they go into such detail and such depth with what's going wrong and why, like all the bad habits and the bad behavior. And then it's like really quickly, they just motor through the solution and how they change their habits and like right at the very end. And that never even occurred to me before. And additionally, their family structure and the structure of all the families around them is very traditional. Yes. yes. Which in a family like mine doesn't work so well. Yes. And they were very scandalous because I saw a guy post. They were playing Spin the Bottle at Sister Bear's birthday party <gasps> in one of the books. They were. Spin the Bottle. She was like turning seven. <gasps> well, what's the old... <laughs> I mean, what else would you do except kiss some... I mean, you could do it like Duck, Duck, Goose, right? Like if it lands yeah, on I'm you, just, you get up and I'm, run around I, in a circle? I'm just... No, I'm, I'm just, just trying don't. to think... Like, the guy no, posted no, it. He was I, like, I don't remember it being so... I don't know. But what's I, the what is there a kid version of Spin the Bottle? I don't know, maybe. Who knows? I don't know. Don't think so. 
<laughs> this took a, this took a weird. Turn. No Ouija boards in those though. Jamie, do you do you think? Okay, so I I don't want to make assumptions, but I I'm I was not a part of. I don't know, people on a geek podcast, maybe we weren't a part of Spin the Bottles. When we were younger, but <laughs> don't, I don't want to make assumptions, but I certainly was not. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I wasn't when I was like Sister Bear's age. Not at age. seven. Not at Sister Bear's <laughs> age. Yeah, no. You were king of Spin of the Bottle. When you you know, seven. I think I have a memory of playing Spin the Bottle like once. And it was probably, I think it was in high school. <laughs> but it was like, it was like, at that, it, it was even then it was like, this is really stupid. Let's just let's do it, and because it was like one right. of those jokes of like, oh, it's been the bottle, blah blah blah, and it was like we were all bored at a party, and we we're like, let's just do it, and I think it lasted like three spins, and we we're like, this is lame, and we just did something <laughs> else. So, um, no, I don't think I ever played it for real. I love the way this conversation has turned. <laughs> I love it. Uh, my dad's a physician, so I wasn't letting anyone's mouth <laughs> mine. Like, ew, gross germs. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we have definitely done this interview justice with this rap. <laughs> the Berenstein Bears being too preachy. So no, it's the Berenstain. Berenstain, sorry. S T A I N. Don't be one of those people who's like, I remember not, being with an E I'm when I was a kid. I have one of the original. It was my actually my wife's. Um, one of the original books before they were actually doing like the series. Yeah. It was just the bear. They were called, I forget what they called them. They didn't call well, them. He the wasn't, bears. he wasn't brother bear. He was just small bear. Yeah. And it, in their, it's clear their author name. Is, <laughs> and that's an old book is yeah. spelled the proper it's, way. It's, it's spelled with an A. I never understood that whole like internet myth thing. We're like, it, they, they changed the spelling and it's a big conspiracy. Like really, with the Berenstain Bears, that's what they would. It's like, what, yeah. Like, how, who? What? Who does this benefit? <laughs> <laughs> they want to cloak everybody. They don't want anyone to know. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for coming back every single week. If you don't, please don't subscribe to Berenstain Bears I, Talk, I our other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Which, now yeah. that I say it out loud, is an awesome idea. We need to do that. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and also, if you get a chance, go write us a review. Let us know how awesome we are and give it five stars and share and do everything. Everything I say, just do it. Bear talk. Share, share, <laughs> the, share the bear talk. I'm trying to think of a good title for that podcast now. Bear talk. That, that could be a whole different podcast. <laughs> That's a whole different one. So, anyways, while we are. Yeah, let's get let's get this over with. I'm Justin at 140 Justin C. <laughs> um, I'm Jamie at the Roarbots and Shiri. I'm uh, sh- uh, at SW Sondheimer on Twitter and I rate Corvus on Instagram. You gotta get with the you gotta get with the branding thing there. They gotta be the same. I know. Well, yeah. my display name on Twitter is also I rate Corvus. That doesn't. There you go. I know. I don't want to start a new Twitter though. It's a pain. It is. Sorry, it take, is. Take, take us out, Justin. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time, guys. Take care. <laughs>